Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. This week's episode is brought to us by Beaver Creek Game Calls. Whether it's duck, goose, deer, or turkey, Beaver Creek Game Calls has you covered. Proudly built in the USA, and all Beaver Creek Game Calls are handcrafted and built to the highest standards. Also brought to us by Anchor.fm, the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor is an all-in-one platform where you can create, distribute, and monetize your podcast from any device for free. It doesn't cost a thing. Check them out today at anchor.fm. Hey, guys. Hope everybody's doing great this week. Welcome to this week's episode. I am your host, Jacob Robry, with Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. As always, guys, I want to thank you for tuning in to this week's show. Guys, I have to admit, we are in uh, full swing now with hunting season starting up, and there's a lot going on. We're heading into the last weekend of teal season here in Louisiana, and uh, I know a lot of you guys have been going at it pretty hard, and uh, it's been mixed reports throughout teal season. But uh, but a lot of good action in the field right now going on. We're about to kick off uh, – um, you're looking at small game next weekend here in Louisiana. And, guys, I have to say that I am super excited for our guest that we have on the show with us this week. We're going to talk a little small game hunting. And most importantly, we're going to be talking cooking, South Louisiana Cajun cooking, and some awesome products that you guys could use at the hunt camp this season as we get ready to, uh, to head into deer season here shortly. And big duck season as we uh, just about a month away now, or a little over a month away from big duck season and opening up. So, guys, um, I would like to welcome to the show tonight our special guest that we have on us uh, on the show with us, Mr. Ross Lafleur of Carrie's Roo. Uh, many of you are familiar with the Carrie's Roo product that has been around for many, many years now here in Louisiana, and uh, Mr. Ross. LaFleur is the general manager um, of Carrie's Rue, and also there are other brands that they have under their umbrella. It's Pig Stand Barbecue Sauce, many of you are very familiar with, and Queen Bee Cajun Seasoning, as well as many other products. So, Ross, hello. Tell everybody hello, and we'd like to welcome you to the show tonight, Ross. How's it going? Oh, things are going great. Thank you for having me on tonight. Man, we are glad to have you, Ross. It, it's a uh, it's. I know when you and I talked about the uh, getting together tonight on the show, we were we were. I was more. I was super excited and pumped up, man, because you know, like I mentioned to you, Cajun cooking is a huge part of our heritage where we grew up at, and we'll get into that a little bit uh, tonight. But it's it's also a huge part of every outdoorsman, every hunter. Uh, if you have a hunt camp. They are very familiar with a lot of the products that you guys uh, make. And we want to introduce those of our, our listeners who are out of state that uh, love following our recipes and our Cajun heritage. We're going to introduce you guys tonight to, uh, to Carrie's Rue and some other brands. So, Ross, how's it going, man? Everybody's – how's the family doing? Oh, everybody's doing good. You know, we we kicking things up, getting ready for uh... – while we always year round we cook gumbo in our house, uh, it is what we would consider gumbo season with things finally cooling off, and you know that goes hand in hand with hunting season. That's right, man. I, I, hey, Ross, you have to be pretty excited, man, from a business standpoint. Not only 
the hunting season kick off next week, but did you look at the forecast heading into next week? Oh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm hoping that they ride on this one with getting into the fifties. <laughs> Man, I think we all kind of itching right now for it. Guys, Definitely. look at the forecast this week uh, or the extended forecast just a couple of minutes ago. Hell, Ross, I think down in uh, where you located at in Ville Flat, uh, they were showing 50 to 51 uh, some nights next week, man. That's that's pretty impressive for this time of year. That would be great, and it would be hard to beat for our opening weekend of squirrel season next weekend. That's right. That's right. A lot of us are excited, guys. You know, our first podcast that we ever did on this show was about uh, – we called it – it was called, titled Small Squirrel Town Traditions is what it was titled. And I talked about in that episode, that very first episode, about how growing up in Evangeline Parish, a lot of our uh, traditions that we had related to squirrel season and hunting season and how important that was to us as, as kids growing up and also how important it was to our, our grandparents and our parents. And, Ross, me and you grew up in, in a small town of Ville Platte, Louisiana, uh, located in Evangeline Parish, and, and I'm sure – even though you were a little bit younger than me, uh, you grew up in a lot of those same traditions. And if you don't mind, kind of tell the listeners, you know, how did you get exposed to the outdoors as a hunter? And kind of what did some of those traditions, uh, how did that carry on into your family that you have? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so as a kid, I, I was very fortunate. Uh, you know, my dad always tried to make hunting a part of my life. And uh, he was one that always wanted to take us and experience uh, the outdoors in any way that we could. And uh, I think the first hunting that I ever had was uh, sitting in a deer stand with my dad. And, um, you know, I wasn't old enough to shoot or anything, but got to go make an afternoon hunt. And then from there, it kind of turned into squirrel hunting. You know, you have to kind of, at least with our hunting tradition, you have to become of age to go with the men for the big opening weekend. But he would take us around. Dad had a uh, squirrel hunting dog. So, we would do that. Uh, it was kind of the biggest introduction into hunting. But uh, Squirrel Weekend was definitely, um, for us in Evangeline Parish, I mean, it's it's what we, we say that kicks off hunting season for us. There is teal season and dove season before, but uh, squirrel season is, I, I don't, I think we look forward to it most. You know, a lot of businesses shut down or close early. Uh, the high school football games, now things are a little bit messed up this year, but the high school football games would get moved to Thursday nights uh, because everybody was leaving to go camping on on Friday. And so uh, right now, things have changed over time. My dad used to have a delivery van, and uh, that's what we'd camp out of years ago and hunting uh, all public land. Uh, we could put a mosquito net if it was hot and sleep in the back of that van, put an air mattress in the back or um, – We'd even some years, if it was uh, too hot, we could crank the van up and let it run. And then now we, we go hunt uh, just north of Ville Platte, and it's all uh, several of my cousins and my uncles that get together, and it's a big hunting and cooking weekend. That's that's awesome, man. I mean, it, may, it brings back so many memories. You know, growing up, my family was a lot of the same. We, we did. You know, we'd make a big trip every year up either to we'd kind of go north as well. Because the good thing about going north, I remember my, my grandfather and my dad telling us, he said, hey, you kind of get to that Alexandria or above, and the mosquitoes, the difference in mosquitoes for that time of year, Ross, was so <laughs> different, man. I mean, there was no mosquitoes. We'd hunt Kasachi, we'd hunt red dirt, um, a lot of public land, you know, and national yeah. forest. And it was amazing how in Evangeline Paris you could get swarmed with mosquitoes, but you get you get to that, that borderline 
up around Pineville, Alexandria, and man, you wouldn't have a mosquito in the woods. It's crazy, and I remember that as a child. Wow. Yeah, that, that's not like that around here. <laughs> it's not. It's not. And South Louisiana, you know, I'm in Gonzales, and it, we, we have swamp, and it's 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 always mosquitoes, you know. And uh, Definitely. I have to say the, the worst probably mosquitoes I've ever experienced for squirrel season was I, I got invited on a trip to uh, to Red River or what they call Richard K. Yancey years uh-huh. ago. And, man, when I tell you that's the worst experience I've ever had with mosquitoes, it was absolutely horrible. We had a big <laughs> rain come through one night, and the temperatures were real hot and muggy. And, and it didn't matter if you put a can of off or you had a thermosel or whatever it was. It was horrible, man. Oh, yeah. And it's it's whenever, even though you, you cover yourself and all, and yet they still come hit you, like, just in case they can get to you. Yep, that's right. They'll find you if they can. So tell, mm-hmm. so tell us about this van. I, that kind of sparked my interest. So you said that your dad had a, a, a delivery van. Was it for a delivery van for the business that y'all would take? Yeah, so for uh, many years, my dad, his primary, his only vehicle was a uh, – uh, it was a one-ton uh, diesel van, and all it had was the captain's chair and the passenger seat up in the front, and the back of it was completely empty. So that way we could stick, uh, you know, two and a half pallets of product in the back and and go deliver for, uh, yeah, for years. Now we have uh, quite a few distributors, so we don't we don't have as many deliveries to make. But that's whenever he started out, uh, and for years he was making deliveries out of that van. Mr. Carey was on the road. He was beating the pavement, huh? Oh, yeah, on the road a lot. Yeah, they had to get it started, man. That's back in the old days. They, it was a lot simpler, you know? Definitely. So you said y'all kind of headed up north. For the listeners listening out there, were y'all hunting? Was it family land that y'all would go or kind of explain to us where y'all head to or was it public land? Well, where did y'all hunt a lot of times? Well, um, it was different reserves. We hunted Celine some years. I think it was Dewey Wills another year. Um, and we went out to Fort Polk one year and now we hunt in Tate Cove, which is just north of Hill Platte. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So y'all staying a little bit closer to home. Probably with the, like you mentioned, it's gumbo season. You can't go too far when you're in charge of uh, making sure the operation is operating correctly, huh? Yeah, it's nice because sometimes this time of year, I think we're going to – we won't have to uh, this – well, at least next weekend uh, work on the Saturday. We, we we start cooking at 3 in the morning, making the roux because it takes a long time to make a batch of roux. And we'll, we'll cook right now until uh, close to 5 o'clock. But some years we do need to open up on the Saturdays. So a lot of times we can go in, get everything started, and uh, go make our little hunt and check on things after that, which is why it's nice to be so close. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure it, it makes it a lot easier to keep an eye on the business. And, and you know, you can kind of manage it from, from the campground if you have to. Yeah, as well as we can. <laughs> as well as you can. That's right. Sometimes you want to distance. You get a couple of drinks in you and you want to you want to distance yourself, but you can't whenever you, you're the man in charge and kind of trying to help function. You know, get everything and it, functioning correctly. And whenever it's uh, that time of year for us, yeah, we have, uh, you know, the barbecue sauce is great. It holds us over through the summer. It's a little bit more regional, and we're trying to grow it some. But uh, the root, there are a lot of people who cook gumbo. So um, the, the root season is definitely our busiest time of year, and especially those early months, like end of September, beginning of October, things are really, are really heating up. Yeah, 
Yeah. And we're going to kind of get into that, guys. We're going to delve into some of the products that Ross and his family company, uh, kind of how they started some of the products that they offer out there. Because trust me, uh, you know, I grew up in a family that also was in the, in the food industry. Uh, my parents and my grandparents started a restaurant, you know, almost 40 years ago in Evangeline Parish. And I've been around them my whole life, guys. And I will say this, Ross, when you grow up in Evangeline Parish, you know good food and you know food that's not so good. Oh, definitely. Definitely. You, you yeah, can we, go somewhere and you know the difference. Oh, uh, you sure do. <laughs> so, you know, uh, what other kind of hunting do you, did y'all, were y'all ever involved in any kind of duck hunt? I know you, you mentioned to me whenever we were talking over the phone the other day, you mentioned that y'all took a, uh, was it an axis deer hunt this past year that you and your father went on? We went out to, uh, so it's been one of my dad's dreams. One of his bucket list items was to shoot and eat an antelope. And I've always wanted to eat one too. So uh, we went out to New Mexico and went antelope pronghorn hunting. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, tell us a little bit about that. How was that experience, if you don't mind? Oh, it was it was something different than anything I've ever experienced with hunting because you're out in wide open areas, which it looks like everything would be flat, but there's so many uh, little draws and little uh, basin areas, you know, and then you have the flats on top. So you don't realize how much terrain is there until you get into that uh, that hunting country. And uh, it's something different. You can most of the time you can see them from way far off. It's just a challenge with getting within range that you're comfortable with shooting. Um, but I and I haven't had a chance to eat any. Like I said, we're in the food industry. We love to cook. We love to eat. And uh, and it was something that we always wanted to try. My dad did get to cook some, and he said it, it was very good because really? we heard mixed reviews about antelope meat. But it was, yeah. he said it was very good. Yeah, and that's something I was about to say. I was just say I've heard mixed reviews on antelope. Um, I've never personally eaten it, and I was kind of gonna, I was gonna head down that road. What, what did it taste like? Did y'all like it? You know. That yeah, he said, he said that it it was really good. It had somewhat of the uh, the regular white-tailed deer flavor to it, um, but it was, it, I don't know, it was it, the texture of it was uh, he preferred the texture of it a little bit more um but i'm looking forward to trying and i haven't i haven't got got around to cooking any yet and with with eating it the main thing we're curious about is because we always heard people do like their back straps they like their tenderloins but as far as the uh the hind quarters the front shoulders um a lot of people didn't know what to do with it and so you know us from coming from evangeline parish we put everything in a gravy so we definitely wanted to try it in a gravy, <laughs> and that's what he did. Smother everything down. Uh-huh. You know, for all of our listeners that may be listening up north, uh, you know, a lot of you guys, uh, everything, a lot of the, the, the dishes are always potatoes. You guys eat a lot of potatoes up north. Well, down south in the southern part of the, the United States, especially down in south Louisiana, and I say, you know, everything below Alexandria on down, we tend to do everything with rice. We, we eat a lot of rice and gravy, what we term as rice and gravy. And what Ross was talking about and alluding to was basically, you know, we smother it down, make a gravy with onions, mushrooms, whatever it may be that you want to smother it down with, and we serve it over rice. And that's what we consider rice and gravy. And if you haven't tried it, trust me, if you do, you'll, you'll want to eat it that way and probably give up some of those potatoes that they – what you think on that, Ross? They probably want to. Oh, I, 
I think so. I think so. It's something, uh, it's something different if you haven't had it. Cause, uh, there are some areas like we went up to Arkansas uh, a couple of years ago and they, they cook a lot of rice dishes, a lot of casseroles, which are really good. But, and we told them that we eat a lot of rice, but, uh, you know, like, like I said, almost everything's in a gravy. You brown it up real good. Add your onion, bell pepper. You can add a few different vegetables if you like smother it down and, and pour that gravy over rice. That's it. You know, whenever I went to LSU and, and uh, moved to Baton Rouge, and then eventually I graduated and I moved to uh, Central Parish, Gonzales, I moved to the jambalaya capital of the world, what uh, Gonzales is, is termed as. And, mm-hmm. uh, man, it took me a while to adjust because I, every time somebody would cook a jambalaya, which I had eaten jambalaya through the years, but back home I didn't eat it as much, I guess, as they do in this part of the state. And when I got down to Ascension Parish and I married, my wife is from Lutcher, uh, so she grew up not too far from this area. And, uh, mm-hmm. man, I was lost because I didn't know where the gravy was. Everything was kind of <laughs> – I, I, I remember I kept wanting to – I'd make a jambalaya and I'd make a little juice on the side and I'd try to pour it on my jambalaya. Pour it on top. Yeah, and they're like, what the hell are you doing, man? You know, and I'm like, hey, growing up in Bill Plant Evangelist Parish, man, we, we have a gravy with everything, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I'm looking. I'm looking forward to. So one of the traditions with our uh, our squirrel hunting camp for our opening weekend is uh, sat. Well, Saturday, if we lucky enough, we, we have enough squirrels to cook and we have fresh squirrels Saturday night. Uh, but Friday night uh, is always two of my favorite dishes um, that we choose from. If we lucky enough that someone catches a snapping turtle. We have snapping turtle in what we consider a rusty gravy, a little bit of tomato, or we have a catfish cuvillon, um, you know, catfish all in. And we'll normally take some of the catfish belly meat and fry that up to have some fried with the, the stewed gravy. Wow. That sounds amazing, man. We might have to take a trip at home with you guys on weekend. <laughs> we, we, we thought we had it pretty good. We, uh, we, we always plan out a menu ahead of time, and that's something, you know, when I talked about the uh, first episode that I ever did, I, you know, I mentioned the term, and I, I, I kind of referenced the term camp dog. And, uh-huh. you know, I think every camp has what they call the camp dog, you know. And for those oh, of you yeah. who don't know what the camp dog is, that's a person who pretty much goes for opening weekend, whether it's the hunt camp or, you, you know, you could be camping in a tent or whatever, your group of guys has a camp dog and that's the guy who through the years not so much oriented not so much worried about concerned about killing a limit whether it's squirrels or ducks or whatever it may be that you're hunting but he's more in charge of the menu of, for the weekend and the camp dog's responsible for putting the menu together he's the guy who stays back when all the other guys go hunting typically and he's gonna start cooking um he's gonna stir the pot he's gonna drink many many beverages more than likely uh cold beverages and, and make sure he's well seasoned you know to, to do the job and that way whenever the guys get back from uh from hunting they have some some food you know some good food and good meals cooked up for them and i think ross you would probably agree you, you probably heard the term camp dog before and you know what i mean Ever, do y'all have somebody like that that's kind of in that position oh yeah y'all every camp needs a camp dog every camp needs a camp dog that's right if your camp doesn't have a camp dog, you need to have a designated buddy who's in charge of that because that's that's one of the most important people in the group for opening weekend or being at the hunt camp. So, mm-hmm. well, 
we talked about we talked about food and we're talking about how much food plays a, a big part of our tradition as Cajuns and as outdoorsmen and the two really go hand in hand Ross together. And your family, uh, the LaFleur family, like I said, has has been in the food industry for many, many years. Um, and we talked about Rue and gumbo season and stuff like that, but tell us a little bit about actually it wasn't the root, the whole root side of the business that actually kicked things off with your family. If you don't mind, tell the listeners kind of how your family got involved in the food business many, many years ago. And then we're going to go through how it kind of evolved. So y'all didn't start out with root. What was the product that you actually started out with your family? Well, so uh, the, the first product in our family uh, that our family was involved with was the pig stand barbecue sauce. And uh, that pig stand barbecue sauce was the barbecue sauce that was used in the pig stand restaurant while my grandfather uh, ran the restaurant from 1950 to 1980 whenever he passed away. Right. And, guys, pig stand, the pig stand restaurant is a renowned known restaurant that was in Ville Platte, um for many, many years. There was actually a story, and, Ross, you probably know this, did you ever hear about the interview that was on the Tonight Show where the pig stand was mentioned? Uh, no, I never did. There was actually an interview years ago, and I was I was a small child, but I remember them talking about it in the local paper. And there was a, uh, I think it was on the Johnny Carson show, the old original Johnny Carson show. And Robert Duvall, the actor, Mr. Robert Duvall, was on uh, they're being interviewed, I think, by Johnny Carson. And I, mean, I could have that wrong, Who, if it was Carson or Leno or who it took over at that time, but I think it was Carson. And uh, he actually referenced the Pig Stand restaurant in Louisiana, in Ville Platte, Louisiana, as a place that he had stopped in, and it was one of the places to go and eat if somebody was in that area passing through or was visiting that area. And, and Mr. Robert Duvall is a renowned actor, as many of you know. Um, so, yeah, Ross, I don't even know if you had heard that story, but that actually was something that was referenced. Your family's restaurant was brought up in the national spotlight back then by Mr. Robert Duvall. Wow, I never know that. That's 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 interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, back, uh, back then, before I-49, 167 was one of the major highways, and uh, they had the Evangeline Club uh, with live music, I think, two or three nights a week. And a lot of soldiers from Port Polk would drive in. Uh, that's how I had a couple of aunts meet my uncles. Um, they were uh, in the military uh, station in Port Polk. And uh, Bill Platt was a, a real booming community at the time. And uh, the pick stand restaurant was one that had been around for years and years. And like I said, it's unfortunate that it's closed now, but um, I know before my, my grandfather, there were a couple of different owners. So he had it in 50 and he worked when he was 16 before the war there. So you're getting into early 1900s. It probably opened. Yeah, it was quite a while. It was it was one of the oldest restaurants in the town that, that had been around for many, many years. And uh, and the traditional kind of fill, fill in our listeners on the. The, the, or the styles of food that the pig stand serve, Ross, if you don't mind. So the pig stand, they, they did have hamburgers. They had po' boys, um, some traditional, you know, diner food. But what they were known for was uh, their lunches. Uh, and their lunches would be 
many different Cajun style dishes like uh, a meatball stew or what we call fricasse. They'd have chicken stew or chicken fricasse. And uh, they would also have a pork roast or beef roast dinner, which again is it's a, a rice and gravy served and it would come with a few sides. Um, and uh, one of their one of the reasons why the barbecue sauce began to grow is because they became famous for their barbecue plate lunches, uh, which was either a, a pork steak that they cooked or like a half a chicken with rice dressing and beans, potato salad. Uh, but that was it was primarily Cajun food. And at that time, they were they actually did breakfast in the morning. Uh, they had, you know, kind of a late night menu, but uh, the lunch service was the biggest part of the business at that time. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, they, you were mentioning the barbecue plate lunches, that kind of, they were one of the originals that kind of set the standard for what you see nowadays. You still see, if you go, you know, if you go to Evangeline Parish and you're on Sundays, mainly the weekends, your Saturdays or your Sundays, um, the folks were after would go to church, of course. Um, that area, part of Louisiana, is uh, a large number of Catholic, predominantly Catholic, I would say, religion. And the, the folks would go to church on Sunday. And then after church, you would have your local restaurants um, or, or little stores. They, they would barbecue. And that was a huge part of, you know, Sundays. If you didn't get together and cook with your family, typically you'd go and the family would maybe pick up a barbecue plate lunch. And the pig stand was one of the original um, you know, um, original places or restaurants in Evangelical Parish that kind of started that tradition and carried it or what you see it, it grow into today. So that's, a, you know, a barbecue plate lunch. That's a big part of uh, Cajun heritage on the weekends. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. So how, the barbecue sauce kind of kind of kicked off. How did the recipe fill us in on how that kind of evolved? Well, the recipe, uh, as far as I know, it, um, it, it evolved over the years. So when my grandfather um, took over the restaurant, it was Mr. Burt Correll that owned the restaurant. And my grandfather was working somewhere uh, else as a line cook. And he, he asked Mr. Burt if it could uh, ever, if it ever came up for lease, if, if he wouldn't mind leasing it to him. And he went ahead and, and leased it. And uh, my grandfather asked him if he could take on a partner. And he, he took on Mr. Verlin there. And the barbecue sauce had been made in the restaurant, used in the restaurant for years, uh, for the most part. So my grandfather actually helped make the sauce uh, back whenever, before World War II, before he went enlisted. And uh, then he just remembered what the recipe and just put everything back because it was a pick stand staple. Yeah. And uh and as it went on, they were selling the barbecue sauce just over the counter. You know, people wanted to barbecue themselves but wanted some of the sauce. So they would fix a little cup here or there, and then they decided, well, we'll go ahead and, and put a label on a bottle. Uh, well, we'll put it in a bottle, put it on the counter. And then from there, they designed a little label and uh, started out. And that's one of Dad's first jobs. Um, he, he would go out on the road uh, to different places uh, to sell the barbecue sauce. So the barbecue sauce is kind of what kicked it off and kind of got it going the family business, you would have to say, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, and the big part was my grandfather getting involved in the pig stand restaurant. So like I said, and whenever uh, whenever he was 16, he was he was orphaned whenever he was 16. And 
he was living with family here and there. And then the owner of the pick stand restaurant uh, offered him a job. And behind the pick stand, there was a little one bedroom, uh, little sh- like a, a little shack or a little room uh, with a bed and, you know, the, the basic necessities and offered for him to stay there and to work. And then he worked. And um, whenever he was 17, he went into World War II. It was later in the war. He was a little bit younger. Uh, it was later in the war. And whenever he came back, he worked at, I think it was J.W. Lyles. Uh, and they had a, uh, a line cook position open up. And then from there, um, he was still pretty young whenever he got into the, the whole restaurant business with the pick stand. Yeah, but that, all, all of it kind of came out of the pick stand. It, it sure sounds like it. Yeah, and I was about to ask you, seemed like at that time when he got involved with the pick stand, he was still a fairly young man at that point. Yeah, he, he certainly was. He was, uh, I want to say mid-20s, uh, somewhere in there. Wow. So, he, yeah, he had an awesome opportunity at, the, at a very young age, and it sounds like he had worked very hard to, to obtain that, you know, and, and to get to that point in his life. Definitely. Well, Ross, what if you could explain, okay, there's a million different barbecue sauces on the market nowadays. You go mm-hmm. to a grocery store, you see a complete aisle of different ketchups, barbecue sauces, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Our listeners out there who are listening and they're saying, hey, uh, you know, Pig stand barbecue, you guys make it sound great. What sets it apart? If here's what you put on your selling hat, Ross, and, <laughs> and, and you're a salesman, you're a salesman at the end of the day, you know, what mm-hmm. makes pig stand barbecue? What gives it that pig stand barbecue flavor, and what sets it apart from the other sauces out there nowadays? I think the three biggest things is whenever you look at a bottle of pig stand. Um, you're going to see the color of it. So uh, unlike some of the Carolina-style barbecue sauces, I did see one in Texas before that were mustard-based sauce. And then most of them are tomato-based sauces. Uh, The more uh, Texas-style, the sweeter type of sauces, your Sweet Baby Ray's and that sort of thing, uh, they have a lot of the sweet rather than the acid. Well, we have tomato and mustard in ours. So you're going to see an orange color. Um, which makes it very unique. It stands out, you know, on the shelf whenever you're looking at it. The other thing is the spices. Uh, the spices that are put in it are, it, it's not heavily seasoned, but it's seasoned. And that's what I like to tell a lot of people whenever we're talking about Cajun food. Some people, you know, I've had friends from out of state, people, places we've visited and visited with people. They say, well, they, I don't care for Cajun food because it's so spicy. And there are a lot of Cajuns that do have more spice than normal. But whenever I cook for people, especially people from out of town or out of state, uh, what I like to do is is keep a good balance where most of the time, in my experience, they're used to cooking with uh, black pepper and salt. Uh, it's that introduction of a little bit of red pepper into it. And also some of, you know, we use a lot of onion and garlic and that type of thing in there. And then the third thing and probably is the biggest uh, separator from us compared to all the other barbecue sauces, the onions in the barbecue sauce. So there's actually uh, slices, well, small pieces of onions, bits of onion in that barbecue sauce, which is something that uh, people aren't used to seeing um, unless you're in our area. That's correct. And, and oh my God, you got me hungry right now, Ross. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, over the years, I've eaten it so much. I know exactly, I could relate to everything you're saying. And guys, trust me. If you have not picked up pig stand barbecue sauce, you and it's not only made for grilling, trust me. Uh, 
it's so good, guys, and it's so different than most barbecue sauces that you see on the shelf nowadays in the grocery markets. Um, it's just unique. Everything Ross said was exactly what I, the way I would describe it. And it's so good, guys, that you could put it on a piece of bread. You could make a sandwich with just the barbecue sauce itself. Uh, you can use it as a dipping sauce. I, I'm telling you guys, it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, it's unlike probably any other barbecue sauce that you've ever eaten before. And you don't have to do the work. You don't have to figure out how to make it. Big Stand makes it right there in the factory for you. They bottle it up and they send it to your local grocery stores. You don't get easier than that, guys. With the, with the modern technology we got today, like you said, Ross said, Mr. Carey's not ha having to deliver in that van anymore. They got distributors sending that stuff out to the stores for you to go get. So for tailgating season, guys, coming up, football season, we're getting ready to kick off LSU this weekend. ULL's already started, guys. You tailgate. You can't go to the stadium. Get some pig stand barbecue sauce and get to cooking at home because I promise you, you will not be disappointed. And, Ross, you could probably fill the listeners in on more. It's not just a barbecue sauce, wouldn't you say? What What's some other things y'all have done with it? You do a lot of YouTube, and I know you do a lot of Facebook videos, cooking recipe videos. And, and guys, check him out because he has some phenomenal videos. But, Ross, what's some of the other things that you've done with the sauce? So uh, some of the things that you mentioned, like growing up, we had a slice of Evangeline made bread and we'd put a little barbecue sauce on it, heated up barbecue sauce. And that was our snack after school a lot of times. And uh, we have a lot of people that like to put it in their uh, pork and beans for their barbecue. Um, I, I know I really enjoy it. And I actually have um, someone on Instagram that uses our products that they they take our barbecue sauce and with it having the onions and, and seasoning in it. And they add it into their ground meat. For theirs, it goes really well with wild game too. It uh, he put it in his elk burgers, made patties out of them with the barbecue sauce inside the meat. So spread that, mix it all up into the meat. It seasons the meat. It helps to keep the meat moist. And you make hamburgers with that. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, meatloaf. It goes really well in meatloaf. Uh, oh. I've seen it already. People use it as a dip, and which was. Uh, a new experience for me, but they had tortilla chips that they were dipping into the barbecue sauce and eating it like that. Really? With and chips? Oh yeah, eating it as if it was salsa. <laughs> I have to say, I've never tried it that way. But as far as dipping, we'll dip it with French fries and whatever else. You know, it, it's good. It's just good. Oh yeah, and um, there was a there's a restaurant. So anybody that does any frogging, which frogging. With the amount of rice fields we have around Evangeline Parish, frogging is a big thing. So um, we actually had a restaurant that for the first time I had seen it. And they took frog legs and they grilled them using a little bit of butter and seasoning, basic seasoning. And they, at the very end, they coated the, the uh, frog legs in the barbecue sauce and allowed the barbecue sauce to caramelize a little bit. And uh, that's how they were serving them at the restaurant. Wow. That sounds amazing, to be honest with you. Yeah, man, I love frog legs. That's one of my favorite things, being from Louisiana. Uh, growing up in the rice fields, we, we had an opportunity to eat a lot of frog legs. My, my mm. parents owned a fried chicken restaurant. We, we'd catch frogs. We'd go fry those, and we'd, we'd have cookouts and stuff, and stuff, play some cards and do some different things. And uh, But I've never, I, I've never thought of actually taking the sauce and doing it on a frog. That has to be very, very good. Oh, it, it, it is good. 
Um, and and one of the other things now is uh, there's there's so many uh, feral hogs in our area, and so a lot of people are coming up with uh, with different ways of it's still using the barbecue sauce but different ways of cooking where they're marinating it sometimes which you kind of have to watch because you don't want those onions to burn too early on there um but a lot of people are using it on wild pork and like i said traditionally uh it was chicken and pork steaks what it came off of but hot dogs you can put it on hot dogs instead of ketchup or or mustard oh it's great on hot dogs my kids eat it all the time on hot dogs and uh I even had someone, a customer, tell me that instead of they usually like salsa on their scrambled eggs, they put a little bit in their scrambled eggs. So it's kind of endless, the possibilities. <laughs> it sounds like it. I mean, and, and it really is. That's why I wanted to say it's so much more than just the barbecue sauce. That's that's kind of where it starts. But there's so many possibilities that you could use. It's very, it's one of the most versatile, um, you know, ingredients that you could use in your kitchen. And guys, like I mentioned, if you haven't ever tried it, Ross, where can you get pig stand barbecue sauce at? T- tell everybody listening where you can find it at. So the the most common areas, a lot of the uh, the mom and pop stores, your local independent stores, uh, we do have it in the Associated Grocer food stores here in Louisiana. You can also find it in Rouse's. Um, you can find it in Albertsons uh, if you have a Kroger in your area. Uh, the Walmart's just depending on the area. You can find it in some of those. But we do have our website, uh, carriesrue.com, and uh, we do have a store locator on there. And what I'll say is not every time you go into one of those stores, you can find our full line of products, but they are capable of getting them. So if you ask a manager, they can get it for you. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So now we have an idea. You know, the started out barbecue, pig stand, pig stand barbecue sauce. But I'd have to say probably most famous, and may correct me if I'm wrong, but Carrie's Rue. And Rue is a is a, a, a something that a lot of people that aren't from Louisiana always hear Louisiana people talk about. Oh, I made a Rue, a gumbo has a Rue, a stew has a Rue. Fill us in, if you're not familiar with what a Rue is, guys, there's nobody better to explain it than probably Ross. Ross. Fill, fill everybody in. What exactly is a roux? So uh, the way that I look at it, I mean, roux comes from French. You know, it's a, a French word. And uh, the origination is probably just from France. And I'm not a historian anyways, and even a culinary historian. But uh, in a lot of French cooking, if, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, they would make a roux. But most of the time it was a roux with butter, and it was more of a blonde. But in Cajun cooking... Uh, we make a dark roux, so uh, that it it consists of heating up oil. Usually, if you're doing it at home, if you're making one from scratch, you have about a one percent fat. I mean, a one to one ratio of fat to flour. Uh, so some people like to use different types of oil, but the fat being a uh, vegetable oil, which is most common, and you'll heat the oil up uh, slowly, and you'll slowly add in flour. And stir it in, stir it in to where there's no lumps. And you're trying to reach a, a color most of the time. You don't want it to stick because if it sticks, it'll get burnt. But you're trying to get the color that you desire. And usually the color tells you what the flavor is going to be. So the longer you allow that flour to roast in the oil, the darker the color will get. It'll have more of a 
uh, a nuttiness uh, type of flavor, whereas one that's not cooked as much, it, it doesn't have as rich of a flavor. It's more of a, a blonde or uh, just a light brown roux. And there's different things. Some people use a, a blonde roux for an etouffee, but they use the dark roux for a gumbo. So if someone doesn't have much experience with gumbos, most gumbos have a dark roux in them. Correct. And, and guys, I have to, I can't stress this enough. People are pretty funny about their roots in Louisiana that you get, you get some, what I call raw, some root snobs out there. <laughs> and, and you probably know what I mean, but I mean, I'll hear guys that say, Hey, that ain't a roux or Hey, that co- that roux ain't the right color. Or I've been in households and I've eaten. That's one thing I love about Louisiana is that I've, I've always been able to, try different recipes, even though you may be eating a gumbo or you may be eating a meatball stew, everybody kind of has their own little take and twist on it, it seems like. And I find that's very true with roux because a roux is something that's commonly used in most households in Louisiana to, to make many, many different dishes, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, and it, it could be, it could vary really from household to household. Now, you guys over okay, so kind of going back, I'm going to rewind a little bit. The pig stand restaurant, we up and going serving food, we're making barbecue sauce. How did how did the roux play into the whole scheme of things for it for your family? So, uh, back in the early 70s, uh, while my dad was in college, uh, my grandfather noticed that he had some of his customers at the pig stand restaurant come in. Because, um, you know, two or three times a day, I want to say, but I'll just call it multiple times a day, he had to make a roux. That he would make a big batch of roux, which he would then use for his gumbo and then his stew. And it might be a meatball stew and a chicken stew. So there may be several pots on the stove that he was using roux for. And um, just every day he would have fresh roux. And so some of his customers knew that and they would walk in and say, and, you know, Anconge, uh, that's my grandfather's name, Anconge Lafleur, but say, Anconge, can we, uh, can we get a little bit of roux from you? And he said, sure, kind of like the barbecue sauce. He had fixed a little bit for him to be able to cook at home and because uh, they knew it was consistent all the time. And so uh, that's my grandfather had the idea. And he told my dad when my dad came back from Lafayette, that was going to USL at the time. And he said, uh, Carrie, he said, I, I think I got something that we need to do. And my dad always jokes. My grandfather was just looking for a way to make sure that his little boy, my dad was the only boy in the family and said, uh, a way to make sure that he moved back to Villeplat. You know, let's get him started with something. And so uh, they decided in 75, when dad uh, finished up school, they started Carrie's Rue. Um, and it, I don't, like I said, it all came out of the pig stand restaurant. So y'all were making the actual roux out of the pig stand in the early days. And then at some point, I guess, as it started growing, it, it evolved and it kind of kept getting bigger and bigger. And your dad, your dad kind of took the, the reins, I guess you could say to it. And then eventually, when did it outgrow the stages of moving out of the restaurant and kind of going on its own as an independent business? Well, with the root, the root idea came out of the pig stand restaurant. But when dad finished school, he, um, whenever they started the root, they actually got a separate facility for dad to start making roux. Okay. And so that was dad's little separate business. And uh, he and uh, my grandmother helped him out and had a, a, a few ladies that uh, worked at the restaurant that would go work for him too, uh, to make the roux. But at the time, you know, you're looking at, 
making a few cases here and there and just trying to start things off. But he had his own facility and on the side, you know, to make money because that was a startup. He was still working at the restaurant, uh, you know, doing helping cook, helping do anything he can. And then with the pig stand barbecue sauce, he would go on the road and sell that. So it kind of helped uh, there. Whenever he'd go on the road, he could sell roux and barbecue sauce at the same time. But the roux had had kind of been separate, and uh, and it just it started showing potential. You know, uh, or it was it was a long grind, but uh, it started showing some some potential after a few years. Yeah, definitely. I I think that's an understatement. I would say definitely so. Um, you know, you talked about, you mentioned earlier in, in the. Uh, episode about rue is a, is a is a long process as far as making it kind of kind of walk me through a little bit on a on a daily basis in you know the factory where y'all make carries rue what you mentioned something about starting at three o'clock in the morning is that correct yeah that's right because one of the things you can't do with rue is you can't speed up the cooking process you know there's there's certain things that you can do to try to help it along uh but it's it's a slow process because if you try to cook it too fast, you're going to burn it and it ro- ruins the entire batch of roux. So as uh, the business has grown, which dad's been getting getting up early in the morning for years, then uh, he got used to it and it was just a necessity is it, you looking at for one of our batches of roux, it takes three to three and a half hours to cook one batch. And uh, like a day like today, we made 14 batches today. You know, we have four different pots where we consider, uh, you know, a batch to be one round, one solid batch of roux in one pot. So uh, you have, in order to make enough, you have to start early enough. Or are you going to work really late? So Ross, a bat. Okay, when you say a batch, when you buy a jar in the store, a regular jar of carries roux, how, what's the size on that, that jar of roux? That's a sixteen ounce jar of roux. The most common size is the sixteen ounce jar. The pint. Okay, sixteen ounces and a batch of roux that you make in the in the factory how much how many jars will that produce uh on average about 360 wow and and you gotta imagine folks all the stores that their product is sold in how much roux is being cooked on a daily basis i mean ross is it is it a monday through friday deal or does this go through the weekend is it non-stop the cooking uh, so in the summertime, we slow down production some, and in the wintertime, we pick it up. Um, Makes sense. Last, last year, we, uh, we're trying to get to where we're a little bit staying closer to the same uh, amount of batches per day. But uh, Friday is just because it's a long week, uh, Monday through Thursday. Fridays, we get off a little bit earlier. But we're trying to keep it uh, – five days a week but the past several years we've always run into situations where we're making up to 18 or 19 batches a day and and having to come in on saturdays so um but we trying to get you know just uh, have it as a five day a week operation right now yeah but i have to say congratulations i guess on that <laughs> probably that's probably something you don't want to you want to hear but you at the same time, Ross and Mr. Carey and everybody needs a day off sometimes, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'd like to be busy enough to, uh, you know, that we'd need to stay. But uh, whenever you're talking about the long days, three in the morning until, you know, five, uh, five in the afternoon, it, it's good to have a break. It's definitely good. <laughs> and it's hunting break. season. <laughs> That's right. That's definitely good to have a break. 
Now, guys, you know, we talking about Carrie's Rue here, and, and when I tell you, uh, you know, the hunt camp, how many duck gumbos do we cook during the season? How many squirrel gumbos, chicken, sausage, whatever it is. If you're not from Louisiana and you are interested, you've always wanted to make a gumbo, Carrie's Rue is the ticket to get started with that, guys. It's so easy. You can go to your local grocery store like we talked about with uh, that Ross mentioned, some of the big names out there in your grocery stores. Pick up your, a couple of jars of Carrie's Rue. Um, there's plenty of recipes on their website that you could follow to make a good gumbo. Ross does some great social media videos. Um, you can visit him on Carrie's Rue on Facebook. Um, you have a YouTube channel as well, Ross? Yes, we sure do. You pretty much all the social media, and that, and that's a that's another point that, that comes up that I'd like to kind of pick your brain, get your take on. How has social media, you know, impacted the business now? Because it seems to me like that you you were kind of in charge of taking the whole social media kind of the modern age of advertising with it, and you're kind of taking the reins on that and running with it. Would I be correct in saying that? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm making an attempt to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how has that affected the business? Are you seeing a difference over what it was before you started doing that? Or, or what's your take on the whole social media thing with promoting and advertising? Well, as far as social media, my thoughts as far as advertising for a business, it's just a, a very inexpensive way of advertising in comparison to the past of uh, the cost of having, um, you know, print ads and that sort of thing. And it allows you to engage with your customers. So uh, we get uh, people all the time asking for a recipe, but then once they get to cooking the recipe, you know, the most common question we get is how to get the roux out of the jar because our jar of roux, well, our roux is made of only flour and oil. Some companies put things, extra things in there, you know, to make it a little bit easier to get out. But ours, we wanted it to stay authentic to what you could cook at home. And uh, so the most common question is how to get the roux out of the jar. And then once you do that, uh, you know, how do you use it in the recipe? Well, now with social media and with videos, people can see exactly what I'm doing throughout the process. If they want to pause it and, and keep watching as they go while they're cooking. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing uh, for us is the education of it. Um, but how has it affected our, our business? It's hard to tell because we, we do have a lot of different things going on. I definitely think that it is a plus, but it's, it's hard to measure exactly new customers from social media. Um, but like I said, it's just been a great way to interact with customers and educate them on how to use and how to cook some dishes. That's a, that's a very good point. And, and like you said, it, it is hard. I find, you know, I've had a couple of different little small businesses that we've done social media with, and uh, it's hard to judge it sometimes, you know, exactly what it's bringing in, but it's a great way, if anything, to interact, and it doesn't cost a ton of money to get involved in it. So it is a great thing, in my opinion, mm -hmm. on that. Now, you know, we were finishing up kind of talking about the whole Roosit, you know, the whole Roo product. Now, Carrie's Roo does offer a couple of variations of, Roux, correct? Yeah, we sure do. We have our uh, the what started it all was the dark roux, the original dark roux, uh, which is in a glass jar, and then we also uh, from there, Dad came out with a light roux because so many people requested a light roux, and it's just a roux that it's not cooked as long. You know, it's a it's a lighter color. A lot of people use it in a two phase. My parents 
they like to, uh, in a meatball stew, or just as an example, they like to use some dark roux and some of the light roux um, to where it's not quite as rich of a, a flavor, but they can get the gravy thick. And then uh, from there, we had some customers uh, years back that had customers say that uh, asking it, they were on diets. They needed a, a no fat, no sodium alternative for their gumbos. And he came out with the dry roux in the jar, which is roux cooked without oil. And it looks like it's a, a light tan powder. Uh, but once you add it to water, it's almost as dark as our dark roux in the jar. And uh, a lot of people started using that for health reasons. And also they like how easy it is to dissolve. And it's a little bit lighter on the stomach. Wow. Yeah. That means so you kind of have a product for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's great, man. I, yeah, because you know, growing up, I remember the dark roux, and then I remember the the uh, the powdered roux, you know. And I remember seeing that. And Dad, I'm a fan of mixing the powder, you know, and the original, the dark roux, and the uh, the lighter roux. I like doing a mixed combination myself for my family. Um, mm-hmm. I find, you know, my wife she didn't grow up where we grew up at, and you know, it's a little rougher on the stomach. Some of that stuff, some of the Cajun food could be like you mentioned earlier, but uh, she really, really likes the dry roux a lot, and she tends to cook with it, and we, we love it. But, uh, you know, guys, all this is, is just products that make it so easy. We're talking about hunting season right here. We're getting into full swing with hunting season. All these products that Ross and I are discussing tonight from Carrie's Roux and Pigstand Barbecue, they're available in your local grocery stores. Whenever you're getting ready to head to the camp for this hunting season, you're looking at what to cook on the menu. Pick up some of these products. These, you know, carries roux. Make a a gumbo. And Ross, I, you know, I, down here I have to say in South Louisiana, I'll get your take on this. And you kind of, you kind of already touched on this a while ago, which uh, is a very good point I found. But I'll let you kind of uh, reiterate on it again. But um, we get people like that'll tell me, you know, I'll say, hey, I'm cooking a gumbo tonight. You know, they're camping. I, I pull out my carries roux and. I, I get my I get my gumbo going. I get my meatball stew or my chicken stew going. And they're like, "Hey man, you using a jar roux?" And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I am." And it, well, man, there's no roux that's good in a jar. And I'm like, "Hey, you never you never ate carrots roux, you know? You never <laughs> had carrots roux before, obviously." And I have to explain, and I start explaining. So, do you ever hear those comments like hey, jar roux versus, uh, you know, a homemade roux, or or what, what's your opinion on that? What would you tell somebody? Who's skeptical on Jaru? Well, I don't. Th- I don't know if I've had anyone tell me uh, anything directly, but I, I do see uh, a lot of people who really enjoy making their own roux. Um, but the thing is, whenever Dad came out with roux, is uh, it was more of a time factor. People are are out and they want to cook in, you know, in Evangeline Parish in the winter time. There's a gumbo cooking at every house almost every week, and not everybody had the time, you know, to be able to make their own roux. Um, and now we even have a gumbo mix that just makes it even easier. Uh, a lot of times now uh, the husband and the wife uh, are working. They pick up the kids. They don't have much time, but a cold front came through, and they hunger for gumbo, and in 40 minutes you can cook a gumbo. But as far as the roux itself, I, my own personal opinion on it, I think that uh, making a roux from scratch is an art form. I think it's something that's tied into our history. And I think that people should pass that tradition along. You know, it's a style of cooking and it's, uh, it's something that you want to be careful because 
Cook and Rui can get hot. It might bubble and want to splash. So just be very careful. Have someone that knows what they're doing to show you. But, uh, you know, the the roux that we make is just like what you make at home. What one the, like I said, one of the, or like I was saying earlier, one of the unique things about ours is that it's, it's the ingredients that you would use at home. It's, it's vegetable oil. It's all purpose flour. It's cooked in an iron pot. It's a custom made iron pot, uh, low and slow. And it gets that dark color that a lot of people look for. And some people even struggle to get that color on their stove top. And you, that way you can get a consistent flavor all the time. So like I said, I don't, I, I, some people, they really enjoy making their own. And all I usually say is, you know, if you have a time that you don't want to make your own roux, if you don't mind giving hours a shot. Yep. What I say is don't knock it till you try it, huh, Rolf? That's it. That's it. But, you know, the biggest thing I take out of what you said there, and you brought this up earlier and you kind of said it again just now, consistency, guys. Consistency. You know, if you, like Ross said, if you're making your own roux, it's very time-consuming. And, and if you have time to do that, great. But nowadays, everything is so fast-paced with the families and we're trying to get things. You know, just an example, next weekend's opening weekend of hunting season. Even though hopefully you're lucky enough to have a camp dog maybe at the camp, but a camp dog don't want to stand there for four hours making a roux. He wants to be able to <laughs> drink a few cold beers, put down a, a few hotty toddies at night, and uh, play some Boo-Ray with the boys. He wants to have a good time, you know? So having access to products such as Carrie's Roux and other other products out there is, is, makes its life so much easier. And that's really, like Ross said, it's not anything different than what you would be doing yourself if you're making your own Roux. It's just speeding up the process, and it's consistent every time. And you can't ask for more than that. You know, you really can't. So, Ross. Uh, we're getting close to wrapping up tonight, and we've talked about a lot of good, a lot of good stuff. But there's also a couple of other products that you guys offer besides Roux and Pig Stand Barbecue that you guys are really uh, growing as a company. We talked about and evolving. And, and if you could fill us in on some of the other products, I know you guys have the Queen Bee Cajun seasoning, and if I'm not mistaken, you just released the new Cajun seasoning, correct? Yeah, we sure did. Well, what we're doing is uh, we needed to have a seasoning with our uh, our main brand on it, the Carrie's Roux brand. So uh, it's actually the same blend as the Queen Bee. But uh, in order to reach the market that we need to be able to reach, I needed to have that branding on there. And that seasoning itself, both of the seasonings, it's uh, the, the seasoning blend that my grandfather used in the Pig Stand restaurant. Uh, it's not too salty like uh, some seasonings uh, on the market t- tend to be for my palate. Um, but it, uh, it's not overly hot, you know, overly spicy, you know, you want to add it slowly if you haven't used a whole lot of uh, Cajun seasoning blends, but, uh, I think it's one that has a good balance. And if you add it to pretty much anything that you're cooking, you'd enjoy it. That's great. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot, man. I'm going to ask you the tough question. Mm -hmm. Carrie's Rue, obviously meatball stew or gumbo, which one does Ross choose? first if he could only have one that's a tough question but i'll go with meatball stew <laughs> me too buddy i'm a meatball stew guy <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I could absolutely destroy a meatball stew man i love I, <laughs> hey, don't get me wrong i love gumbo but i'm a meatball stew type of guy i love it well i tell you one thing though that it might top a meatball stew for me that it was the first time i did it last year Maybe some of the listeners have, have done this before, but we never did get around to the duck hunting and how much duck hunting we do. But last year, uh, we do some wood duck hunting. Last year, we shot a, a few wood ducks, and 
um, I took my smoker with some pecan wood and I smoked the ducks um, for, I think, a couple of hours at around 200 degrees. It might not be perfect, but low temperature to where it's not cooking it too much. It's just introducing the smoke flavor. Then I took those wood ducks. Now, this is plucked and, and field dressed uh, wood ducks, so not breast or anything, everything with the bone. I put them in uh, a pot of water, boiled them until uh, I could basically debone the ducks and they were tender. Deboned all that out, then started my gumbo using that broth and uh, put some sausage and everything in there. That was, uh, I think, the best gumbo that I've cooked. <laughs> Man, that's something I'm going to have to try. I, that, that, sounds, that sounds really, really good. After, oh, yeah. You know, we're actually, next weekend, we're opening weekend of squirrel season. We were talking about what to cook. We looked at the temperatures and the weather like we talked about earlier, and we're going to be cooking a duck gumbo starting out next Friday night, and uh, and hopefully Saturday night we'll be able to cook some squirrels. But uh, we will definitely be having a duck gumbo, so we might have to try that recipe next week. Oh, give it a try and, and let me know how you like it. Like I said, I just smoked it a little while and adding that smoke flavor to the duck, it was really good. That's That, that sounds really good. Well, you mentioned duck season. How much duck hunting does Ross have time for now? Don't you have a little girl? A little? How, you have one little girl, Ross? One little girl right now. Yeah, I sure do. She's and about to turn she? two. She just turned two. Well, she's about to. Yeah, about to turn two. So one little girl. How much? How much are you still duck hunting nowadays? You have time for duck hunting? How? how with, this, with it being roost season and having a little one at home, how, how hard is it to get to the duck barn nowadays? Yeah, it's it's not the easiest thing to get out to the duck blind, and I used to be able to have time to hunt more, and um, in our area, the duck hunt, the, uh, let's say the teal and the big duck season hasn't been quite as good, but we're, we're fortunate enough to have some sloughs uh, that we can go in and, and shoot some wood ducks, that way we can eat some and put a few in the freezer for the rest of the year. Yeah, that's good old wood ducks, they, thank God for wood ducks, huh? Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, there's there's not a whole lot much more fun if you got a good wood duck shoot on a slough or something like that by you. Most those of you who listen out there, a lot of you guys depend probably like I did starting out on wood ducks. You know, we had family property. That's pretty much I'd say eighty percent of what we used to hunt for, and the way I learned to cut my teeth in waterfowl hunting. And uh, you know, there in my opinion, there's not many ducks out there that are more beautiful than a Drake wood duck. Uh, a lot of you probably agree. We just about all have one mounted uh, in our collection of mounts. And uh, I'll tell you what, in my opinion, once again, it's the best eating duck out there that's out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Ross, uh, how can people find you, if you don't mind, kind of kind of touch base again, uh, the Carrie's Roo Pig Stand Barbecue and all the other products that you guys or have out on the market right now, what's the best way for them to find you guys? So if they're looking to get in contact with us or see what we have, we have our website, carriesrue.com. And we also have a Facebook page that's Carries Rue and Pickstand Barbecue Sauce. We have an Instagram page uh, that'll be at Carries Rue. Uh, we do have Twitter, um, not as active on Twitter, but we do have Twitter uh, at Carries Rue. And then we are on YouTube. You can uh, search for our page, Carriage Ruin Pick Stand Barbecue Sauce. There's recipes, there's videos, uh, little tips and tricks, some history about the company. Um, we've had a, a few guests uh, cook with us as well and uh, hoping to do more. 
And if people are interested in trying out products, like you said, a lot of the local grocery stores, especially if they're in South Louisiana, uh, they can find some of our products. We also sell them on our website and we have a lot of great customers uh, who sell them on their own online websites. I think, uh, you know, you can find them through walmart.com and, but uh, if you can support some of the local guys uh, who, who put our product out there. Definitely. It's more, it's more important now than ever guys to support your small businesses. That's really one of the, you know, a main reason and a drive behind me uh, wanting to get Ross and, 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 you know, on the show this week, I, I really believe my family, it's a small business restaurant and without the local support and without the support of small businesses, these, these companies would not be able to survive and, and be able to make it, you know, nowadays with everything going on. So guys, don't forget uh, to check all these small businesses out. Like I said, it's so easy to get access to, to Carrie's products and to, uh, you know, pig stand and all the products that Carrie's Rue has to offer. I'm super proud to have, have you on the show, Ross. I'm very, thankful for you taking the opportunity to come out with, with me tonight and talk to everybody. Uh, I, I hope, I hope that everybody really enjoyed the show this week. I know it's a little different than what we normally do, but guys, this is a huge part of our tradition in promoting our great state of Louisiana and businesses in our great state. Um, as outdoorsmen, like I mentioned, we all use these products. And uh, if you're not using them, that's why we're, we're, we're talking about them to get you introduced and acquainted with them. And hopefully you guys can start a new tradition in your hunt camp and with your families carried on into your households. Um, so Ross, just want to take the time to thank you, buddy. And uh, I really enjoyed it tonight. I appreciate you coming on with us. No, oh, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. And guys, we're going to have this posted up on the streaming platforms. As always, I thank you for tuning in to uh, to our weekly show of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. Um, we'll have it anywhere where you can get your favorite podcast streaming platforms. We're on Spotify, Anchor.fm, Podbean, um, Apple, Apple Podcasts, all the major platforms, guys. You can find us there, listen to all our episodes, and you can share them with, our, with all your friends. Uh, I thank you for tuning in, and until next time, guys, this is Jacob with Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. We'll see you in the outdoors, guys. Have a good evening.